0: Welcome to the Bleep Midlife Bulimia podcast with guest Emma Jane Taylor, author and keynote speaker. Hi everyone, I am Lorianne and the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia. And today I'm very pleased to have Emma Jane Taylor. She is an author, a keynote speaker, and has just an amazing story. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Lorianne, and thank you for the work that you're doing as well to raise awareness for such an important subject that
0: people don't want to talk about, but we really should. Thank you so much. So you have had quite the story, and particularly in your, uh, your childhood you were speaking to, I've listened to some of your tapes, are amazing, so do you want to just start off and give us a little bit of an overview?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was around two years old when I can start, if I can sort of go back really and sort of look at that sort of part of my life. I was, I was quite young when I remember some of my earliest memories and they were happy memories. You know, I was, I, my parents had separated. I lived with my siblings and every other weekend, my step siblings would visit. I had a cat called honey and life actually felt okay. Um, I was just enjoying my little world with my mum and my stepfather. And every other weekend, I would go and see my biological father. So when I look back on that memory, I think actually it was a really nice time. I was happy, I was a really happy child. I knew no different that was my world. Um, My world changed when I was around nine years old. I was uh, on a holiday with my family in Greece and I was sexually abused by a restaurant owner. Uh, this was uh, this was my first experience of I guess bad behavior Um, but at nine years old I wasn't educated enough to know what it meant I didn't really know what happened to me I didn't say anything to anybody and just carried on in my little world Um, and again was quite happy bumbling along like this you know living with my mum my stepfather my siblings and seeing my biological father every other weekend And for the next two years, so until I was about 11, that was my life. And I just enjoyed it. Until one weekend, I think it was just a significant change in the atmosphere around my father. And he picked me up from my home in the UK. And I turned around and I could see my brothers at the window. And they weren't coming with me. And I was thinking, I remember that sort of like bit of butterflies in my stomach thinking why aren't they coming with me but you know he's my daddy and I'm going to jump in the car with him and uh and we're going to do all those things we we've always done you know go and get our sweets from the sweet shop go swimming go and watch television just hang out just have a lot of fun and and you know what he really was a lot of fun he was a really nice guy he was fun he was handsome he was like uh, literally my everything i my everything that he did i wanted to do um and then on this particular day he took me down to the horse riding stables as he always had and he said you know we have a problem in our relationship and he pulled the car into a a lay-by and we just sat there and um of course i didn't say anything i mean now i'm very vocal back then at 11 i didn't say anything here was my hero the man I was in love with my daddy telling me that there was a problem in our relationship and, uh, basically said, look, you know, you're due to stay with me on a weekend that it's uh, where you, where your mother wants you, but it's cause it's mother's day, but that's my weekend. And actually I really want to see you that weekend cause I don't get to see you so much now. Um, but you know, you make that decision. You, you tell me what that decision is, but he, uh, but he didn't say, you know, if you make the wrong decision, I won't see you again. He just said, look, make that decision. And so I said, OK, Daddy, I will. Um, went off horse riding, um, went off and did all the other things that we were going to do that weekend. And then he dropped me home and said he would called me that evening, Sunday evening. And I will never forget the, 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 just the landscape, my, my, my parents, house, my mum's house. And the phone rang. I can almost still hear it ringing. It was like one of those old fashioned dial phones. <laughs> and, uh, and I picked up the picked up the receiver and he sort of chat chat. And then he said, have you made your decision? And I said, well, yeah, I said, you know, I, I am, I want to see mum, mummy on mother's day, but you know, I want to see you as well, daddy. And he said, well, look, you've made your decision. Um, I can't see you again. And it was, it was as simple as flicking the light on a light switch. That was it. I but at eleven years old, when I put that phone down and ran out of the house crying, and my parents, my mum and my stepfather running behind me, I didn't really meet. I didn't really know that that the finality of it. I didn't realise that that would be it. I would never see my dad again. The significant person in my life, this this nice man who I loved, who was handsome, funny. I mean, you know. There was nothing that indicated to me that he wasn't a nice man before this moment in my life. So I was just broke, just completely broken, completely broken. And for the next few years, I used to sort of go running down the stairs at Christmas and birthday, waiting to see if I would get a birthday card or a Christmas card and just nothing, nothing came. And I, uh, I was listening. I used to listen to Cliff Richards, daddy's home um, relentlessly thinking just come and get me daddy and he never came I watched still a black surprise surprise which is a program here in the UK where she reconnect. she would she, she she's now sadly she's died herself but she would reconnect um people with family lost family and I used to think oh one day that'll be me going on that show but it it, it never was it never came and I'm 49 this year and I've not seen him since so 38 years of a lot of soul searching, a lot of questions, um, a lot of stuff that I've had to work out myself. You know, I, I, I then sort of like after after he left and I went from this really nice, lovely child to like this monster. Um who hated life hated people hated making decisions couldn't like couldn't trust myself to make a decision because I was fearful of what might happen to anyone else in my life you know would I lose any more people and so you know just struggled I was at senior school um I became a very naughty child I was labeled a juvenile delinquent I was put into psychiatric care I was isolated at school. I was suspended at school. I had to have daily reports to my headmistress. I was told I was a failure. I started drinking, started taking drugs. I had OCD, night terrors, constantly being sick, panic, paranoia. Everything was late developing with me. I was anxious. And as the show is about bulimia, I then developed bulimia. And so, you know, you're doing everything that you can to control a situation and, Eating, I think, was the way of me trying to own that. Um, And that's really how my life went for a few years. And then, um, uh, very sadly, a family friend saw a weakness in me. And I thought he was my friend. And um, he then groomed me for the next three or four years. So I was sexually abused by a family friend from 13 through to about 16, 17, when I started to feel strong enough to step away, to become a powerful voice, a powerful person. But that took years. I mean, you know, I stepped away when I was about 17, 18. I went into therapy at 23. Like I say, I'm 49 this year. I wrote my first book four years ago. And it's taken me, I would say a good 30, 20, 30 years to be here present in my life, ready and able to give back to help other people. So I guess in a nutshell, that's kind of my life story. Um, Bulimia was a really big part of my, those years, those younger years. I mean, you know, all through those difficulties from from the age of 12, 13, through my teenage
0: years, they, it really was
1: something that troubled me.
0: Well, you started quite young. Uh, they do say, though, that uh, for certain people, Bulimia, I, w- I was speaking to one lady and she said it quite well. It's um, it's it's there's a comfort in that it's not the right way of doing it but there is a comfort in it as well mm-hmm. uh, but it and it's not hard it's not easy to step out of it do you remember what brought you out of it was it when you decided to make changes and
1: yeah I remember seeing a therapist so um all through my 20, 23 I went into therapy and I would say for the next 10 years I was purely focused on trying to find who me trying to find some peace trying to find some calm i was i still i wouldn't talk about the bulimia i think i was still embarrassed actually i had a lot of shame attached to it um i'd gone into business as a businesswoman, so i didn't think it was a good thing for people to think that of me i mean crazy that we think like that right but that's how i thought um and so it wasn't again, it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I remember going, in fact, my life changed when I went to see a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist in my thirties, mid thirties, after having my daughter. And um, I was really brave and I told him, but actually by then it had lessened anyway, because I think it would, for the, for me, the height of my bulimia and the eating control was probably throughout my teens and early twenties. Um, as I went into my late twenties, I think I was much better. More in control, but not you know I could be triggered very easily um and so late twenties early thirties was when I really thought my life started changing because I felt so much more complete, and I think because I felt complete, I didn't have to sleep with my light on I didn't have to make myself un- sick I didn't have to take any any anything illegal or drink i mean I gave up drinking and taking any drugs from the age of twenty four as well, so I gave it was stages for me. And I remember seeing my therapist and, and telling him, and I was mortified, absolutely mortified when I was telling him about the bulimia, because I guess, here I am. I'm a professional businesswoman. I have a team of people working for me. And I have a lot of clients. I'm in the industry, I'm in the well-being industry. And now I'm owning that, you know, this was a part of my life. And whilst it isn't so much now, it, it's something certainly I wanted to make sure I have better control over. Because, you know, um, I'm sure you're aware, you know, any kind of triggers can be, you know, overwhelming. And I have a lot of triggers to control um, from bulimia to OCD to, you know, the night terrors, the sleeping with a light on. Um, And I've been gradually doing it over the years, taking one off, one off, one off, one off. You can't do all of this together, right? You have to do it very gradually and carefully because there has to be a lot of nurturing, a lot of empathy and a lot of care around you. But you're the only one who can do that. You are the only one who can wrap yourself up, and make this a change. And when I told this uh, therapist this time, I remember just a bit, like I said, I felt mortified and I was really upset. Um, and he just gave me some very simple tools. Uh, it's a very different, diff, uh, a very, uh, a very good approach to really focus my mind and attention if I was getting distracted by anything like that. And I have to say, touch wood, it's been something I've never looked back on since. And like I say, it's it's it stages for me, stages, 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 stages. And, um, and I've, and I've come through it, but, but, it but it's taken support, it's taken care, it's taken empathy, it's taken understanding. And it's also taken time to actually go, do you know what, it is okay. If you do, you know, it is, it's, if you are triggered, if you, you know, none of this is your fault, right? None of this is your fault. What happens to us is from the, usually from an external source that can create an internal insecurity and people can just walk away, but you can't walk away when you're dealing with all of that. You have to deal with it in your time and when it's right for you.
0: Absolutely. Very, very well said. So I would imagine though, in a sense too, for listeners out there, you're in the health and wellness this is good for people to know as well as that, you know, here you've been able to pull out of it and go into an industry that, it, you know, is helpful to mm-hmm. people who are struggling with bulimia. Because one thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is, we talk about that, is that you need to, to make sure that your body is well in order for your mind to get well as well. Because yes. the nutrients, if you lack the nutrients, you're not feeding, you know, your mind well enough to be able to deal with, what you have to deal with so do you want to tell us a little bit about your book I'd like to know about that yeah so my book is
1: called don't hold back it was um it was based on my true story based on my story and where I've come from and where I where I have ended up and where I'm going really and how I've got there it's a a tips advice and motivational tool book to help anyone go through their difficulties so it features obviously there's a there's a section about my story but beyond that it's really about what I did and what I've used to get through to be the woman I am today so forgiveness boundaries um, knowledge um, really understanding who I am the person that I am within and how powerful that was ahead of anything else so it's really about how I changed my life from You know, most people thought I would be dead by the time I was 20, either or in prison. (laughs) And uh, fortunately, neither. And now I'm I I, now I work with people on the other side, with prisoners, with, uh, with with survivors, with victims, because I know how important it is for us to come together and give a voice to everybody. I could easily have have ended up like I say either of those two things but I didn't and thank goodness I didn't but I have done that through a lot of soul searching a lot of work so my book is really about how I got through to be a successful woman today and when I say successful I don't mean monetary
0: yes very well said too that way I have a a curious question though too because I'm sure that that decision making came from that one time when your father asked you to make a decision and I'm sure that you felt that you the whole situation was because you made the wrong one how uh, that's a big change in life so how did you overcome that decision because obviously as a businesswoman, you've you know been able to do so but how did it come to that
1: give me a professional decision I can make it like that no problem because I know from a professional point, what I need, what I don't need in that world. Personal decisions have taken a lot of time and consideration for me, even now at 49 years old and a mother myself. And, but what I've understood and what I've done is tighten up my boundaries and by that I mean understanding who I need close and who I don't and it's not to say that those aren't that aren't close to me aren't people I love it's just that some people I just need to hold a little bit further away for me to be coherently thinking and when I can coherently think I don't have guilt attached I don't have anxiety attached I don't have any concern I'm making the right or the wrong decision because I'm supported by the right people around me not the people that make me feel awkward and um, like I say that's not to say I don't love these people because they're all great Um, but we all have people that people are very people mean very different things to all of our lives so making sure you have the people that make you make you Feel good, right? Make you feel you. I know who I need to be. I know I need to be a kind, loving, caring, trusting, authentic person. Now, if someone doesn't make me feel like that, I have to question where they sit in my life and why I'm thinking that. So, I can do when I when I do have to make any decisions, I do it from a kind, caring, loving, authentic place, and I, I know that it will have been a very carefully thought out um, decision based on where I am in my life right now. So, but that took time, you know, Lorianne? I mean, that wasn't something that I, I mean, personal decisions were, were things that I found very difficult. Big, when I say personal, big personal decisions, you know, I'm talking about fundamental decisions that would change my life. So now I feel much more capable and I've always been capable, right? I just shouldn't have been given that decision as an 11-year-old child. Um, but that's another long story. So, you know, now I'm here at 49, I'm like, well, 48 actually, so I'm giving another year to myself. I'm 49 this year. Um, Now I, I can do all of this coherently and from a good place because if it doesn't come from a good place that makes me feel good, forget it. I won't make that decision until I'm ready and in that right place.
0: I, that is, you've said it all. I mean, one of the big things for my changes in life was making sure that I had positive people around me you know, some people who I didn't feel the guilt. All those things that you named out for, and uh, I think it took me probably a few more years than you to find that out. But uh, <laughs> because also, I I recovered at forty eight from my bulimia, so I'm, t- I'm fifty eight now. So that's oh, well done you. But uh, yeah, for the thirty years going through that, um, and I I think I was stubborn too. I wasn't seeking to help. Uh, that I mm. should have been seeking way ahead I kept thinking I could do it on my own yes my and
1: own. and we can't we can't do any of this on their own and I think the other thing important thing to mention there is um, how people re- respond and react is a reflection on them not on you so you know never take that with you and always remember if you're going to respond and react in a certain way you have to be making sure it's how you feel is comfortable for you no one else.
0: I had another interesting question. I know that, you know, this is going to be my last one, but I just have full of questions, but I'm trying to find you can to You can it. ask as many as you want. Uh, forgiveness. This is a big one for uh, for a lot of people out there. It is still for me uh, to a certain degree uh, because there's different levels of forgiveness. And I think that what you, I'm sure what you've had to forgive has been very difficult, including your father. Um, can you speak a bit to that forgiveness? As I said, I just feel that there's some people that think forgive, forget, or forgive is, but to me, forgiveness was I can forgive you, but I don't want you in my life, in my situation, because you're hurtful. You were hurtful, and because as a family member, there's another family member very upset with me because I will not have that person in my life, and that being my mother. <laughs> She says, I want you to make me happy by having that person in life, but you can't answer to that. Like, I I love you, mom. I'd love to do this for you, but I need to do this for me. Mm. So those are difficult choices. So just a bit about your, your journey and that forgiveness part.
1: Okay. So my, my biggest challenges were to be able to sleep at night. I wanted to find my way back to being that kind, confident person. I wanted to be able to love with a trust. I didn't want to be broken, busted with a defunct heart that prevented me from being free. And I suppose it finally dropped for me when I understood right from wrong. And then I could eventually turn things around to make them better. But you know, this wasn't without a lot of pain and bitterness and soul searching. I cried a lot and found this dark time in my life very difficult. And I think learning to forgive can be very challenging and it's often misunderstood. It doesn't excuse your perpetrator and neither is it or perpetrators and neither is it about forgetting the events. Forgiving for me is about accepting and accepting that I had experienced what I'd experienced from being abandoned, being abused, and then the knock on offense, uh, the knock on effects to what happened. And of course, being, being, we're talking about bulimia. So, but up until now, these events just influenced how I lived my life, how I related to other people. And I needed to kind of release that, I suppose. So it was honestly for me about holding no bitterness anymore, sleeping at night, forgiving people not forgetting but forgiving accepting this is my lot accepting this is where i am let go of my pain and understand that my life is much richer because of this i'm not grateful or proud or proud of what i had to endure to be here but i have made it all a positive lesson to help me and give a voice to others to help them so it was really about letting go accepting not forgiving i don't condone what anyone did to me right nothing you know how people have treated me was a sick sick act of cruelty to a child and totally unexpected acceptable but to let go i've had to understand that my perpetrators have problems that i will never be able to get close to work on or understand i was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people just as millions of other people have been too. And then that has been allowed, allowed me to free
0: myself. Wow, That's very well said. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Emma-Jane, if you can let our listeners know where they can contact you, where they can find you. I know you've got some great YouTube videos as well. So <laughs>
1: Yes. So you can go, if you go to my website, emmajane.taylor.life or emmajane.taylor.com, you will find all that you need about me there, all my links to everything that you've just mentioned, to articles, to my national press, global press, um, to also to all my social media links. Um, I I respond to everybody. So, you know, I might not be able to do it straight away, but if you want to follow me and ask me a question, then um, give me, you know, give me a bit of time and I will respond and I will listen and be what I can to you um, as you move forward into your next phase of your life. So yeah, everything you need is on my website um, and then you'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Very active. I'm now a child sex abuse activist. So uh, my second book is out this year, um, together with a global project, which is
0: going to, is about change. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure, laurie And good luck with everything
1: that you're doing. And thank you for the work you do too. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com.